0: Welcome to Soft Landing, the podcast that makes interior design accessible to everyone. Hey guys! I'm Amy. I'm an interior designer, artist, and space planner. I'm here to talk about everything you need to know about interior design, from furniture to finances. I'm sharing over a decade of experience to help you find real design solutions and craft the space of your dreams. Hello, and thank you for tuning in today. We are picking up with part two of the IKEA catalog series looking at the years 1990 through 2022. And if you haven't listened to part one of the series looking at 1950 through 1989, please do give that a listen. Next week, we'll kick off Soft Landing Summer Break, so for the remainder of August and the first three weeks of September, there will be no new episodes, but this is a great time for you to go back through the show's 101 episodes and re-listen to your favorites. We will resume regularly scheduled programming on Wednesday, September 21st. That's in one month, and I'll miss you. But for now, let's talk about IKEA's catalog. It is so much fun seeing the waxing and waning of trends throughout modern history for furniture, interiors, color, and attitude. Plus, there's just a great sense of nostalgia. We are reviewing three decades of trends using the website ikeamuseum.com, which has a full archive library of every IKEA catalog from 1950 through today. I would recommend looking up milestone years for yourself. Maybe not the year you were born, but I found the year I graduated high school to bring back a ton of memories. As with all of our trend analysis episodes, you'll notice trends come, go, and come back again. Of course, there are always little tweaks with each new trend wave, adjustments for technology and new variations, but so much of why I like to look at trends with you is to emphasize that the consumerism aspect of interior design, the idea of what's in and what's out, is subjective and always changing. We can watch these trends go by like the wind, and as long as we have a true sense of our own personal style, there's no need to panic every time something new comes onto the scene. Or, you can ride the trends like waves and enjoy them for their momentary spectacle. Either way, let's dive in. Oh, but first, how could I forget? Let's talk about the color of the week. I love cooking with seasonal vegetables and right now we are completely in the middle of zucchini season. These water-dense veggies have a gorgeous green outer layer and this rich color can be celebrated in your home by using Sherwin-Williams Isle of Pines SW6461. This deep, Serious Green brings a collegiate sensibility with it, so it's perfect for creating a scholarly space, but it also looks stunning on kitchen cabinets. Try bringing in a little balance to this bookish number by pairing it with blushes, golds, and pale grays. It will have you feeling steady on your feet in no time. The 1990 catalog has some real jewels in it. There's the Gotland Sofa Collection, a thin, low seat on a light wood base displayed in thick, black and white striped upholstery. It's shown in a room with a black and red checkered flooring. It's as though the Beetlejuice or Tim Burton aesthetic has made its way to mainstream catalog furniture. The only thing missing is some ghoulish creatures and a postmodern sculpture. As I've mentioned in the episode Deo where we look at the portrayal of Beetlejuice's resident interior decorator Otho, the design movement known as postmodernism is a critical component to this look. Blocky, simplified shapes, bold graphic patterns, primary colors, and lots of black and white. This style is present in the Le Chault chair, too, with its upholstered, wheel-shaped arms and just a hint of Art Nouveau styling. It looks like we caught it mid-flight. Black leather upholstery and black storage are on almost every page, and if you were around in the 1990s, you know it was hard to go a full day without seeing a black sofa somewhere. Maybe it was its practicality or austerity, but it certainly fit in with the Gen X grunge ethos of the time. There are items like the Calmar lounge chair with its wrapped arm detail and bunchy linear tufting. It's so incredibly informal. And we've gone from all white room scenes in the 1980s to almost completely black ones by the early 90s but we also have a full page of glass coffee tables to provide a little lightness into the mix. Whether the legs are wood, metal, or even marble, glass-topped coffee tables were the style statement of the 1990s living room. Speaking of simple shapes, The Mella sectional sofa is one of the most avant-garde looking pieces of upholstery in the catalog so far. With its circular seat and back, each section locks into the next, looking almost like individual vertebra. It's unique and flexible for sure, but it doesn't exactly look comfortable. If you owned one of these, let me know. I'm so curious about the sit on this piece and it was only around for a year or so, so that's kind of telling. A real showstopper is the Teg comforter and seam headboard, which utilize the same peach and lavender abstract organic print. With coordinating channel tufting, it's clearly what every mid-market hotel based their rooms on for the next 30 years. There is an absolutely incredible layout on pages 20 and 21 of the 1992 edition that show the simple shape play of postmodernism at its best. First, there's a round dining plate with a faux burlwood rim with matching flatware on the opposite page, a silver fork, knife, and spoon with faux wood handles. I would pay top dollar for a set like this today. It's so chic. Below the plate is a lipstick red, super square leather sofa, an area rug with floating black outlines of arches and swirls, and a lounge chair that seems to be referencing the Le Corbusier lounger that's so popular and a jet black shelf called the cavet, which consists of two giant upside down wire triangles that double as legs and supports. If you don't feel like you know what people mean when they use the term postmodern, turn to pages 20 and 21, please. This is no longer Pee Wee's Playhouse. We have entered the world of Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, restrained, intentional, and structural. We see our first human in the composed room scene since the early 80s, plus a basset hound for good measure, as the scenes stop feeling so contrived and more relatable in their details. And this is important, we'll see more of that later. 1993's issue draws a line in the sand. No more dark and shadowy rooms. No more person-free photo shoots. It's as though vibrancy and hominess have been brought back to life. It's as though vibrancy and hominess have been brought back to life in the pages of the IKEA catalog. Light fixtures are shown turned on. The sun still shines in through the windows for a dramatic angular lighting effect, but the general light of all the rooms and every product in them is brighter sunshine yellow is everywhere along with terracotta and sage green and other secondary colors. The primary red blue yellow brights have been moved to the back of the catalog and warm earth tones are the new bombshell in town. Even the black sofas are playing second fiddle to the warm, grounding colors that have made their way into the trend world. We also see our first CD tower. For those of you who may not have been around or don't remember, music used to be played on these things called compact discs or CDs, and each album came on a CD inside a square plastic case. Everyone would display their music collections in these huge vertical stacks, and you would buy a skinny shelf with little ledges for each CD to sit on. They were very ugly, but everyone was so into the cool technology of CDs that we thought it looked awesome plaids have entered the catalog, and they are everywhere in all different colors and scales. Not to mention lots of other small-scale patterns like black and white graphic florals, checks, starbursts, and gingham. This also matches up with the early 90s grunge aesthetic. So much plaid flannel, now you can blend right in with your sofa. 1995's images take a slight step back to the darkly-lit ways of the 80s, but this time, the images are more natural and less like a spotlight shining through on a soundstage. Everything feels grittier, from the imperfect artist's loft scene to the careless stacks of books on the floor. There's even a sofa, the Taka, that intentionally looks as though it's been completely draped in a patterned blanket, or soft draping as it's called in the catalog. A lofted wood bed with a desk below completes the experience. Everything feels inspired by life as a young adult, the college experience in its realness, rather than the happy family life, which is what we see in almost every other year's roundup. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, or really out of a Guns N' Roses video, there's a four-post bed draped in white shears. It feels like Stephanie Seymour must be right around the corner. One interesting thing I've recognized as a pattern is the trend from the previous few seasons will make its way out of the front pages of the book and into the children's furniture section. For instance, in 1995's catalog, the black and white striped Tim Burton aesthetic is clearly tired, but it shows up in tiny kids' lounge chairs with stuffed animal snakes for emphasis. Before that, The red, blue, and yellow vibes were no longer showing up in any living room furniture, but there were full sets of kids' primary colored bedrooms. This is likely a clever and efficient way to use up leftover materials, but this process of trend hand-me-down for the littles is maybe another way of saying we aren't 100% ready to let go of this look, but we certainly can't be putting it on the front cover anymore. In 1996, there is more medium-toned wood than ever before, and much of the colors and patterning feel connected to the American Southwest. There's so much off-white and beige, clay-tiled floors, wood-burning fireplaces, wicker, and rattan. There's even jewel-toned stained wood blue headboards, and green dressers that have bold saturation but still allow the grain of the wood to be clearly seen. We can see postmodernism in its final stage in the 1998 issue. If you're not familiar with architect Michael Graves' work as an industrial designer, specifically in partnership with a company called Alessi, you can find very similar pieces on pages 12 to 13. And once again, everything has returned to pure white and natural light-colored wood. Of course, as many would say, so we can appreciate the true forms. The one exception to this is the purple guitar-picked shaped analog clock. The shapes and pieces are chunky as if they were Lego caricatures of themselves. There's the Nartorp maple shelving unit on an awkward set of four silver legs with downlit glass shelves housing, of course, only white bowls with a white lounge chair that is so stripped of its detail it looks like it might not even be finished on the assembly line, but it is. Clearly, much of the playfulness of the early 80s has been drained from the postmodernist movement, and simplicity is now the driving factor. As if the maximalism and even the grunge periods we've just been through have pushed the aesthetics into needing a cleanse period, where color and pattern all feel just like a little too much. But of course, if we have no color and no pattern, things get boring. Enter metallics. What's now being referred to as the Y2K era, or as we used to call them the early 2000s, brought an endless wave of lemay, silver, platinum, nickel, aluminum, and occasionally gold. If you didn't own a wide variety of metallic fashion accessories in 2005, were you even living? Ikea was on board with this trend, and much of it only requires the basic restyling of their existing inventory. We see a classically shaped adjustable silver desk lamp, a tubular steel silver desk on wheels, metal coat hooks, and a classic aluminum trash can with ribbed sides and a handled lid. A new item is the Opala chair, a bent tubular steel lightweight lounge piece with silver plastic canvas stretched across it. I had two of these in my living room at one point and I loved how surprisingly comfortable they were. Plus, having silver fabric in my home felt very of the moment. Apart from that, we see mostly neutral colors with the occasional safe splash of red or blue. Most of the furniture shapes are clean, but referential to traditional forms, otherwise known as transitional, which we talk about more in the episode The Time Warp. There's some gingham and plaid throw pillows, but mostly everything else is a solid color. This allergy to color extends on into 2001 with a record 13 pages in a row of all white rooms at the very beginning of the book. These spaces feel serene and heavenly, but also a little cold. There's a dedicated page to the color green, but it's almost all tiny accessories. Vases, throw pillows, CD cases, chopsticks, When used individually in a home, these would barely make a peep, whereas there's another page dedicated to all things gray that includes shelving, a lounge chair, curtains, and other more substantial pieces for the home. While color is hard to find, IKEA is by no means projecting an image of perfection. We see a dining room table with multiple generations of family sitting around it and a hodgepodge collection of chairs, feeling makeshift and easy. This is the first time we've seen a mixed dining set in the catalog, rather than matching chairs all around a table. This narrative carries along throughout the 2000s, a simple, clean, efficient home for your busy, messy, beautiful life. In fact, styles seem to get stripped down further and further towards a new level of minimalism. We see storage units with touch-latch hardware that removes the need for any kind of handle, leaving behind flat, white, glossy panels. Minimalism becomes such an important narrative that we even see the resurgence of the Saarinen-style tulip base for tables momentarily. Series such as the Pax wardrobe and Malm bedroom sets present flat, cantilevered shapes and clearly reference the modern movement of the 1960s, but with cleaned up details. There's also a shift away from the living room as the focus of the catalog. The kitchen and dining room become front and center. There are so many more cabinet styles to choose from, and IKEA is not only offering tons of plates, bowls, and dishes, but they also have cookware, knives, and Tupperware. There's a huge focus on dining rooms, and that results in the creation of the fusion four-seater table. This dining set is clad in walnut laminate, and each chair has a bent plywood back, allowing them to neatly tuck right under the table and create a compact cube shape when not in use. I miss this item, especially when I have clients in tiny apartments who want to squeeze a table into their non-existent dining room here in New York. This was such a perfect and affordable option, but it only stuck around for a few years. Pattern and color make their way back slowly towards the mid to late 2000s. We see hyper old-fashioned wrought iron headboards, dining tables with sculpted turned legs, and It's all used in a mismatched, playful way that feels more like we've walked into the odds and ends of an antique shop. This is still mixed in with the hypermodern pieces, and while a sense of balance is restored, the point of view seems a little lost. There's plenty to choose from, but it feels like, in the store's effort to please everyone, their identity has been softened. By 2009, Color, print, pattern, and vibrancy have repositioned themselves in the selections with bold botanical sofas and even a large flower print on the inside of an open shelf. Then, just a year later, the catalog reaches a true professional era. The photographs of staged rooms and scenes are intricate, elaborate, and interesting to gloss through. One room has classic wood wall paneling and detailed columns, another has a chalkboard wall scribbled all over with a rainbow of colors. The rooms are brightly lit, no darkness to be found. The bold black and white stripe is back, but so is paisley, plaid, and polka dot. Everything is layered and mismatched in that Y2K maximalist way. The overarching vibe is casual. Even in the more formal setups, nothing looks too fussy. Everything is lived in and even messy in a stylized way. Throw blankets are draped haphazardly over sofas, storage boxes lay on the floor with their lids crooked, shelves look slightly overcrowded with knick-knacks. There's a true sense of coziness baked into every page, and more importantly, a relatability. The look and feel is much less aspirational and more like it's almost already your home. You just need a few things to jazz it up. Very compelling. It's worth noting that the size of the catalog continues to grow. I mentioned last time that the first printing in 1950 was 15 pages. 2020's issue clocks in at 370 pages, not including some of the indices and other riff-raff at the very end. And according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the 2011 catalog is the record holder for the most read catalog of all time. There were over 208 million copies printed, mailed out, and left on coffee tables in over 30 languages and 41 countries. And the 2011 catalog, in so many ways, has the same ethos as the 2010 catalog, but the photography quality just keeps getting better. The lived-in situations show big families having normal, active lives, making meals, and laughing. Some of the pictures are almost pure portraits. We aren't seeing a great amount of new product here. It's just styling and tone of voice that's getting updated and modified. There might be new colors of coffee tables and patterns of upholstery, but we're seeing the staples of their line. The Karlstad sofa, which has consistently been one of the most affordable sofas around. The Poong chair with its handful of sizes and styles, and the LAC tables, and the expedite storage modules, and so on. It's all been shown to us again and again, but each year there's a new color and a handful of new pieces. But ultimately, it's the stylized photography that has that hook that shows us what an easy life you can live with a full house of IKEA furniture. It's genius. In 2013, one thing that really stands out is a featured dresser, the Tarva dresser, and it has been completely covered in spray paint. I'm not going to call it graffiti, but it's certainly wishing it was, and I think this is a little nod to the subculture of IKEA hacking that started in the mid-2000s. I know for a fact there are many modifications that IKEA will discourage you from doing, like cutting things up or messing with any of the attachments, but a little paint never hurt anyone, so it's cool to see this embracing of the idea that many of their plain blonde wood pieces are blank slates for creativity and customization. By the mid-2010s, the maximalism is fading away. We're seeing more restraint in the way the rooms are accessorized, and then… BAM! By the middle of the decade, we are seeing the farmhouse trends start to take over. We see a white ceramic farmhouse sink in an IKEA kitchen for the first time, and wall paneling is everywhere along with more wrought iron headboards and lots of cooking and homemaking. But by the end of the decade, this has been replaced with cleaner lines and a surprising resurgence of pastels mixed with earth tones which we haven't really seen together before. Many of the pieces' shapes are referring to mid-century modern forms, but with cleaner details, like the VEDBO lounge with its light wood frame and womb-like upholstery floating inside. There's a new variation of the lax side table that looks like something straight out of postmodernism, with faux white mosaic tiles creating a black grid. Get Tim Burton on the phone ASAP. There's also a resurgence of rattan from the 70s, and while these pieces feel soulful and curated after an era of dullness followed by meandering maximalism, after looking through the catalog's history, we know it's nothing IKEA hasn't shown us before. It's at this point as well where we start seeing an endless amount of houseplants—whole rooms looking like greenhouses rather than just one or two scattered around this is important for IKEA's next big step. The catalogs for 2020 and 2021 are a mix of a few things. Light white scenes, dark moody earth tones, and active family scenes mixed with cleaner, quieter ones. And as of 2022, IKEA announced its print catalog would be no more, which is a major end of an era. But It's no surprise, and as it's said, print is a dying media. But fear not, there are multiple brochures available on their website. As of right now, there is an amazing collection of images that can help you visualize planning any outdoor space from a balcony to a full-fledged party patio, all to celebrate the company's new outdoor dining sets. Spending more time in our own outdoor spaces has become a priority for so many. It reconnects us with nature, and no need to drive or fly anywhere. Conversely, IKEA also has an entire section dedicated to quote, gaming furniture, including desk setups and task chairs with robust neck supports. This is a sign that IKEA understands how to roll with the punches and change with the times, as needed and as they've done for decades prior. Even though I have a little sadness in my heart for the end of the printed catalog, I mean I love the tactile nature of physical print, but 208 million copies of a 300 page catalog is a lot of paper and ink, and the idea of saving those resources makes me feel good. Plus, the full archive is now available to anyone at any time. so. What's your favorite IKEA year? There's something about the Y2K era that makes me feel so happy, but I love seeing the 60s minimalism too. I hope you enjoy the next month. Please take incredible care of yourself, and I will talk to you in the next episode.